0: Today's readings from Numbers eleven. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard this, and he, when when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then the fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tabarah, because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. You remember the fish we ate in Egypt, and at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we see we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves, and it tasted something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promise on an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. "'I cannot carry all these people by myself. "'The burden is too heavy for me. "'If this is how you are going to treat me, "'please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes, "'and do not let me face my own ruin.' "'The Lord said to Moses, "'Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you "'as leaders and officials among the people. "'Have them come to the tent of meeting "'that they may stand there with you. "'I will come down and speak with you there.' And there I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days Or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am among six hundred thousand men on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say to you will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought, the, he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses's aide since youth, spoke up and said, "Moses, my lord, stop them." But Moses replied, "Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people and prophets—I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets—and that the Lord would put His spirit on them." Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night, and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers, and they spread them all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hataava because though they buried the people who had craved other food. From Kibroth Hataava the people travelled to Ahazaroth and stayed there.
1: Thanks, Georgia. Well, what is it about food that makes us so picky? When you think about it, food is just food. In terms of, you know, taste and texture, the moment it leaves our mouth, it's pretty much irrelevant to us and it is exactly the kind of topic that we can easily get up in arms about and complain if we don't get what we want. As uh, any parent, certainly knows. In fact, just this past week, I ran a poll on Facebook asking people to rank the flavours of Smith's chips, knowing that it would get a huge variety of responses from people insisting that they were right and others who thought differently were very, very wrong. And I knew that would happen because I'm one of them. <laughs> if you give me salt and vinegar chips, not going to be happy... But this morning, we're going to see that uh, this kind of attitude towards food is not new. It existed thousands of years ago. But more than that, in this case, it reflected something very rotten. Because it results in a rejection by the Israelites of God's bountiful provision. Uh, Today, we're in the book of Numbers which uh, is a bit of an unusual book in terms of uh, its genre, so there's a a mix of genres within it, and also in terms of uh, the time period it covers, uh, which is quite long compared to the books around it. Uh, The reason we call it the book of Numbers in English is because uh, the first four chapters, along with uh, chapter 26, are a census of the nation, the numbers of Israel. But in Hebrew... It's most commonly called the Book of the Wilderness, because it covers the 37 or so years that the Israelites spent wandering the wilderness between Egypt and the Promised Land. Why did they spend 37 years, two generations, in the wilderness? Because of their constant disobedience towards God, which begins here in this chapter... Chapter 11. Uh, This marks the uh, beginning of the middle third of Numbers, which is all about Israel's constant rebellion and rejection of God happening over and over again, and which ends up with this entire generation of God's people being barred from entering the Promised Land. Only once the last of them passes away does the next generation enter Canaan. And so, this rebellious generation is made just to wander to and fro in the wilderness of Sinai. And this is the period Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 10, when he writes that these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did, and that they were written down as warnings to us. So, what example are we seeing here for us today? What is the big issue? Well, it seems to be complaining. Specifically, complaining about God's provision. You see, while it appears on the surface, perhaps, that there are almost sort of two stories running in parallel here, they are both part of the same story, the story of how God provides for us so that we can serve Him. When we read uh, the first few chapters here, they may be sort of a bit of a shock to our system. Uh, It's a very short opening, isn't it? And we're not really told much of what's going on. All we know is Israel complains about their hardships. God punishes them because something about that complaining angered him and then they cry out to Moses, because of their punishment, he prays that God would relent and God relents. And that's it. On its own, doesn't tell us much. Might even seem like an overreaction from God. But then we get to verse 4 and the rest of this chapter gives us a bit more of a sense of what is actually going on here. Uh, This complaining is not uh, constructive criticism of their leaders, or asking God to ease their burden. It's not thanking God for His provision and uh, praying that He would get them to the promised land soon. It's not even just a cry to God for help. Instead, it is very specifically the Israelites, led by what's called the rabble among them, whose attitudes seem to rub off on the rest of them, it is them stating that they would be better off back in Egypt. That it was better for them to be slaves than it is for them to be God's people, whom God is taking into the land that He promised to them, because they don't have any meat... God is providing food for them every day in the form of manna. This uh, food that came from heaven, which is uh, incredibly versatile, we we read here, they can do all kinds of things with it, and we know it's delicious as well. But they've had enough of it; they're tired of His provision, and so they crave this other food, which isn't really that special, and they crave it so much that they're willing to become slaves once more, if it means only that they can fulfil their cravings. Even though, once they reach the Promised Land, they're going to have an abundance of all these things, and many more besides, because they'll take ownership of the land, and the land of Canaan is good land, it's plentiful, it's bountiful. But they don't care. They're not thinking about that at all. In essence, they don't trust God. They don't trust God who has taken them out of Egypt through mighty works that no one else could have done. They don't care about what He's done for them in providing them with everything they need to survive including this manna that they eat every day. And they think they know better than him what is best for them, even though he is freeing them to serve him, him being a loving father, instead of keeping them enslaved uh, harshly as they were before. This is a wicked thing for them to do. It is them denying that God is who He says He is. It is them rejecting God and His good plan, and it is to make themselves out to be better at being God than God Himself. Which is, of course, the essence of the original sin in the Garden of Eden. It's them attempting to replace God rather than serving Him in response to everything He has given to them. And doing this, this uh, direct complaining about what God is doing, is also creating a further problem indirectly, because their complaints affect the ministry, the service of Moses... Uh, Moses is the one chosen by God to lead his people. He is the one with the Holy Spirit in him, working through him to show the Israelites the good, godly path that they're meant to take. And now Israel is complaining about God, and that affects Moses as well. Look at his complaint in verse 10. For well, from verse 10, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents... The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favour in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. And if you were uh, watching online a few weeks ago, when we looked at uh, Elijah meeting God... Moses' plea here might remind you of what Elijah said to God when he was fleeing from Jezebel. Just like Moses, Elijah felt like he was on his own, that he was the only servant of God left in all of Israel and he couldn't carry that burden on his own. So he asked God, take my life. And what did God do with him? He empowered him for the journey ahead, he gave him the strength he needed, he told him what would happen next and he reminded him that he was not alone, that he was not the only faithful servant of God left. But in Moses' case, he is kind of on his own at this point. He is the one empowered with the Holy Spirit to lead God's people, to mediate between Israel and God, to speak with God as one would speak with a friend. He is the one uh, that intercedes for the Israelites the first time around in this chapter, because they were pleading with him to get God to stop his judgment on them, and now he knows they want it again, and it's too much for him. He cannot bear the burden of ministry on his own, nor could Elijah, and nor could any of us, because ministry of any kind, service of any kind, to ministers to serve, cannot be done by one person forever. One person, on their own, does not have the strength to bear the burden of serving an entire community. But this may also partly be Moses' fault, because back in Exodus, Moses' father-in-law Jethro advised him to bring some respected leaders from among the tribes to assist him in his work, because he couldn't be expected to take the burden of leadership alone. And yet we get to this passage, which is later on in the story, and Moses is taking the burden of ministry alone. Now, we don't know whether that was because Moses didn't bring in uh, the leaders that had been chosen to assist him, or whether those leaders weren't taking responsibility, but whatever the case may be, this shouldn't be happening. Moses should not be feeling crushed by the weight of his ministry. And we can say the exact same in a church situation, a pastor or any other ministry leader, or in fact, anyone doing ministry in any way, should not bear the burden of ministry on their own. Whether that be because they feel the need to take everything on when they shouldn't, or whether it's because no one else is stepping up to assist, or whether it's both. Uh, what's more, even though his uh, lamenting is not in itself wrong, this uh, groaning to God that he's doing, uh, there's nothing wrong with the concept of that. We see it elsewhere in Scripture. Uh, the language that he uses is quite self centered, isn't it? It's all about what have I done wrong? Did I do this? Did I do that? How am I meant to do this? There's very little focus on God, on what God can do to change this situation, other than ending Moses' life, which is also a self-centred request. Moses seems to have forgotten what God can do, which we especially see when he doubts that the Israelites can be fed in the way that God promises. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, this groaning is not, unlike what Israel is doing, it is not an act of outright rebellion. And so now God has two complaints to answer, one being the pitiable, fairly pathetic complaint of the Israelites, that they don't have any meat to eat, and the other being the understandable but somewhat self-centred groaning of Moses being asked to do too much ministry on his own. How does God respond? In both cases, He responds by powerfully giving these people what they want, in a way which deals with their hearts, with the hearts of the people who are crying out. He gives generously to these people in both cases. And while the purpose of each response is different, both ultimately point to God's power, to God's control, and remind us of the need to respond to His generous provision, with hearts glad to serve Him. So first, let's look briefly at Israel. What does He promise to the Israelites? Well, He gives them what they want. He gives them meat in the form of quail. But He doesn't just give them a day's worth of quail as a treat, or a couple of days, or a week, he gives them enough quail to last a month. So much quail, he says, that it will come out of their nostrils. And isn't that a great image? They will be stuffed to the brim with it, and will come to hate it, because they have so much of it. And isn't that a great example of what sin is like for us? The lure of sin. Oh, if only I had this, if only I could do that, then I would be happy. If only I was God, then I would be pleased with everything that I had. I would have fulfilment. And yet, when we get our hands on whatever it is we desire... We come to hate it and loathe it because it doesn't fulfill us. The joy of it is fleeting because it can't give us what God can give us when we serve Him as He deserves. And furthermore, because of their rebellion, some of the Israelites come under God's judgment in the form of a plague, just as the grumblers had been a plague to the Israelites, leading them to rebel for the sake of some better food in the first place. And yet, even with that judgment, God is still providing for their need for food. He's giving them what they want. They want meat, He gives them meat. And He also provides something even greater with His response to Moses. He gets Moses to bring 70 leaders of Israel to the tent of meeting, where he would meet with Moses, and when they're there, the Holy Spirit that is in Moses, now comes on the 70. And they begin to prophesy, they begin to speak God's truth, which should strike us as very similar to what we read earlier in Acts 2, right? On both occasions, the Spirit comes on some of God's people and they begin to prophesy in a way that they never do again, but the Spirit remains in them from that point onwards. And unlike with the Israelites, there's no uh, punishment here, because this wasn't an act of rebellion. Uh, This is simply a gift and a blessing. Although Joshua doesn't think this way at first, he's concerned that, uh, you know, these men having the Spirit uh, might weaken Moses' position among the Israelites. Uh, when he hears of, you know, these two elders who weren't at the tent, they still received the Spirit, which shows us, you know, God is not restricted by geography. When Joshua hears that, he says to Moses, stop them, stop them from prophesying. And how does Moses respond? Does he agree with Joshua? No, not at all. Instead, he says, uh, what I think is one of the most beautiful statements in the Old Testament. He says, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. This was, for Moses, I think undoubtedly a great relief because he doesn't have to bear the burden of ministry alone. And in fact, he seems to be almost in awe of what he's seeing, at this prophesying going on among God's people. This is certainly a far greater response to his groaning than what he had suggested. Rather than leaving Israel leaderless, as Moses' death would have meant... God has now provided His Spirit to strengthen Israel, to lead them more and more towards Him, by giving them more leaders filled with the Spirit. And this is also a reminder for Moses that his ministry work, like all ministry work, is empowered not in his own strength, but by God's power by the work of the Spirit, just as providing all that quail for Israel showed him God's immense power. And so now, having been reminded of these things, it's as though Moses sees what's happening and thinks, this is how it should be. This is a glimpse of heaven, of God's people speaking God's truth in service of God. So imagine, Joshua, if all God's people would do this. Imagine if all God's people had the Spirit in them. What great works could they do, in service of God, if only they had the Spirit? Imagine. What would it be like for all God's people, to be acting in Spirit-led service of Him. Because that's what's on offer for us, isn't it? The Spirit is no longer in a select few of God's people, because ever since that day of Pentecost, He has been at work in all God's people, to this very day. If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, if you believe in His death and resurrection, then you have the Spirit in you. God, the Spirit, is dwelling in you. And so, what we have here is an opportunity to think about what we want this church to look like. Because Willow could choose to be God's people in the way that the Israelites were in this passage. We could choose to be grumblers, to let ourselves be led in our thinking by grumbling and complaining in accordance with our personal desires. Thinking that, wow, nothing that we do as a church, nothing that God provides us with is ever good enough for us. We could leave all the ministry to Dan or to any other pastor that we might have, or just to a small group of ministry leaders, and we could spend all our time as a church complaining about how much better things could be if they were done our way, but never assisting in ministry, and never focusing on God. We could be completely uninterested in learning about Him, or about how to serve, and be always just concerned with ourselves, what we want out of church. Being obsessed with the here and now, on money and numbers, or on food and entertainment, whatever it is that catches our eye, rather than on people's eternal salvation. Would that be a place that you would want to go to as a visitor? Would it be a place that you would want to be part of, be a member of? Do you think that at a church like that, there will be much in the way of spiritual growth? Do you think that a church like that would lead people to Jesus, or would show the love of God, or would in any way glorify God with the glory He deserves? I doubt it. And I hope that we as a church never become like that. And I hope no church becomes like that, because that is not a church, that is not a group of God's people that serves God, that glorifies God. That's not a church that's going to bring people to Jesus. In fact, it would be a church that denies God and His provision not just by focusing only on material things rather than trusting in Him to provide what we need, but more than that, by rejecting and quenching the work and provision of the Spirit in our attitudes and actions. The Spirit is given to us so that we can understand, believe in and serve God but if we aren't interested in being taught about Him, if we don't care about serving Him by serving others, then ultimately, we are not trusting that God has in mind what is best for us and that He will equip us with minds able to understand through the Spirit and hearts capable of serving through the Spirit. Instead, we would be acting as if we know better than God what we should be doing as a church. So, let's imagine instead what it would mean to be God's people in the way that God calls us and empowers us to be through the Spirit. What kind of church would Moses look at with the wonder That he has when he sees the elders of Israel filled with the Spirit. It will be a place where people are convinced of the truth of the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection and see the gospel as the most important thing in their lives. It will be a place where people of all ages work together in service of others trusting that the Spirit would guide and equip them in everything they do. Not seeking to limit the Spirit according to their own ideas, whether that be age, old or young, time, learning, whatever it may be. But instead, believing that God can use everyone in service of Him and His Kingdom. And rather than burdening a few with a heavy load, or trying to burden ourselves with a heavy load. It will be a place where all share the load of ministry. Because all are, as we looked at last year, prophets, priests and kings, through the Spirit. When something isn't being done as well as it could, we will not simply grumble and do nothing more, but rather seek to assist and to approve what is done in service of others. It will be a place where ministry is not left to one person to mediate for us, to God on our behalf, but in fact because Jesus mediates to God for all of us, all of us seek to minister to each other, to remind each other of God's truths, and to lead each other towards Jesus. Would that be a place you would want to go to as a visitor? Would that be a place you would want to be part of, to become a member of? Do you think there would be much in the way of spiritual growth in that church? Do you think that a church like that would lead people to Jesus, would show the love of God, and would glorify God with the glory He deserves? I think so. In future weeks, we'll be going through the generosity project just as we've begun doing in our small groups. Now, thinking about what it might look like for each of us individually to be generous servants. But thinking today as a church collective, what a difference it makes for us as a whole when, as a church, we live like people with the Spirit. Like people that God has bountifully blessed, has given to in abundance, by gifting us the Spirit. So let's be a church that lives like we have the Spirit, because He has been provided to us. He is in us. So let's honour Him by serving each other like God has served us. By ministering to each other as he has ministered to us, and by trusting in his ongoing, bountiful provision of everything we need to be faithful servants of him together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for your bountiful, immense provision to us. We thank you that you give us what we need to get through each day. But above all, we thank you for the ultimate provision you have given us of your Son, Jesus, who was crucified for our sins, and for the Holy Spirit, whom you have sent into our hearts so that we can believe in you so that we can know you, so that we can trust you and so that we can serve you by serving others. Lord, help us, we pray, to be servant-hearted, to be a church that fulfils your plan for us to be your representatives on earth so that uh, more people can be brought into a, a knowledge and love of you, into an acceptance of the truth of the Gospel. Lord, help us to help each other in our ministries. Help us to be people that don't just complain, but instead in love seek to constantly better what we do as a church so that we can glorify you all the more. Help us in all this we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.